Welcome to the second episode of To and From, a podcast from Delta and StoryCorps that shares stories of what we give and what we gain when we choose to explore. I'm Michael Garofalo. The people we're hearing from on this show come from all over the world, but they have something in common. They just couldn't stay put. Something pushed them to travel, to seek out new places, new communities, even new homes. And of all the reasons someone may pack up and start a new life in a new place, the one that can pull at us with a nearly irresistible force is love. And I don't just mean romance here. We're talking about all-encompassing, capital L, love. Yeah, sure, the love you feel when you meet the person of your dreams, but also the love that binds friends and families together. The kind of love that can connect us over thousands of miles, time zones, mountains, oceans. And in that spirit, we'll kick things off with a story that spans the globe and several decades. It comes from Rachel Heller and her friend Stuart Gaffney. Today, Rachel lives in Holland, Stuart in San Francisco. But their story begins when they met at college in the early 1980s. What was your first impression of me? I think of you as being very grounded, very welcoming to everybody. And also, as I was beginning to come out in college, you kind of signaled to me that you would be a very safe person to come out to, and you totally were. Yeah, that was freshman year, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I remember you telling me that you were gay, and my reaction was, okay, so why didn't you tell me this before? If you were going to be mad at me for coming out to you, that was the best kind of mad, that you were mad I didn't do it sooner. Our junior year in college, you were in a position to take a semester off, and you decided you wanted to be an au pair in France. So I got a one-way ticket to Paris, and the first thing you said was, we have to go into the subway so we can busk for money for the hotel room. Uh, luckily, we did earn enough money for the hotel room. Oh, yeah, we, we always earned enough money for a hotel room. With this kind of start to their friendship, it's no wonder Rachel and Stuart would end up traveling the world together. And it turns out that their travels would not only lead them both to the men they'd marry, but also to discover what home means. We graduated in May in 84. And by that time, I decided, well, I'll just go to the Peace Corps. And they sent me to Malawi. And I met Albert there, my husband. When you had finished the Peace Corps, we all met in the Netherlands. And it was a really great way to understand the man that you would spend your life with. Well, we didn't actually know that at the time. He was my boyfriend. Okay, well, you didn't know it at the time, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. And um, when you and Albert got married, you invited me and John to come with you, along with your parents, the only wedding guests. we had four guests for our wedding. So we drove off to Nevada. You got a Nevada marriage. Five-minute marriage. It was perfect. I couldn't picture myself in a big, frilly white dress walking down an aisle. So not my style. Or Albert's style. It he would good. look terrible in a frilly white dress. <laughs> but one other thing that we share, sort of a parallel in our lives, is that we both really got to know the men who would become our husbands by traveling with them. And that shared sense of adventure, I think, is something that both cemented our friendship, but also our marriages. There's really no better way to get to know a person, is there? It's a test. If you can travel together, then you can live together. How did you feel 
when I told you that we were moving to Holland? My first reaction is, we're going to miss you. And also, we're going to miss out on seeing your daughter grow up. But I also thought that your move to Holland was completely consistent with your sense of how to manage a partnership and then a marriage between two different cultures, two different nationalities, two different sides of the ocean. What was challenging for you in the first years living together in Europe? Well, it was one of these typical situations, which many expats have, where there's a trailing spouse. There's one who has the job and is busy and is doing stuff, and the other one is just sort of unanchored. And I was the trailing spouse. He knew his way around the society and the culture and the language. So I was very dependent on him in that first few years, which is not something I'm comfortable with. As you know, I like my independence. I like to make decisions for myself. So I was really pleased when I finally felt like I knew enough Dutch to actually apply for jobs and get a job. When did your new home country really begin to feel like home? My house felt like home right from the beginning because we put our stuff in place and the kitchen was set up the way I liked it and I could still eat peanut butter and jelly, even though Dutch people think that's disgusting. But home is where the people you love are rather than particularly a place. And Albert was there, of course. And then my kids were there, and that makes it home. I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. That's Rachel Heller with her friend, Stuart Gaffney. So in this episode, love is in the air. And in this next story about a romance between a pilot and a flight attendant, it is literally in the air. Eugenia Hart and Dimitri Mitchell met when they were in high school in Copperas Cove, Texas. Like typical high school sweethearts, they were inseparable. It was the type of teenage romance made up of late-night phone calls, passing notes at school, and that seemed like it would never end. Then they graduated. Dimitri went away to college, and Eugenia went into the military. They tried the long-distance thing, but it didn't work, and they lost touch. Years passed. Eugenia was working as a Delta flight attendant. Dimitri was in the Air Force, and by chance, they reconnected on social media. Eugenia recently told Dimitri's mom, Heidi Watts, what happened next. When me and Dimitri reconnected, Dimitri was in San Antonio, Texas, and he was going through pilot training. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was a flight attendant, And as soon as we reconnected, we started seeing each other once again and just going on lunch dates, which is crazy to say because I lived in Atlanta, but I would fly to San Antonio, Texas for a lunch date and then come right back. But that was the kind of dynamic we had. He knew that if I needed him, he would be there and the same for him. On his end, all that time, no matter where he was, what he was doing, His thoughts and his desire for happiness always led back to you. I feel like we've always had that soul tie, even in the absence of talking. And those are deep. When you and Dimitri decided to stay together and he got those orders from the Air Force to move, what were your thoughts? I was actually there, and I remember very vividly when they announced... Captain Mitchell 
Lakenheath, England, my heart kind of swelled and it kind of dropped because I knew it was going to force his hand in, are we going on the marriage track or are we going to maintain a dating relationship, a sea apart from each other? And that's when we decided to take that next step and start our lives in tandem in England. You know, life takes us on the paths that it takes us on for a reason. We went our separate ways, but made our way back to each other. And look where we are now. We have a little baby. We're mm-hmm. living in England. We're married. It's crazy. So when did home become where you and Dimitri live now? So this may sound silly. I have two definitions of home. One is the physical, of course, where you get your mail. And the second is where you feel most safe, um, most content. And Dimitri has been that for me since 15. What has travel and living abroad taught you about yourself? Being patient with my partner, being patient with my son, who is a bouncing bean, your grandson. (laughs) Living abroad has taught me how to fend for myself, I guess, um, how to be thrown in the mix and thrive. So it's definitely taught me. um, It's made you stronger. I think so, yeah. It's made me a lot more resilient, and I think that makes me a better wife, better sister, better daughter, better mother. Your grandson, Titus, as I'm sure you know, with mom and dad, that's all he's known, honestly, traveling. And I want him to travel freely, openly, and experience different cultures, different backgrounds, and to be accepting of those people. Because, you know, a lot of folks kind of are scared of pulling the trigger to travel and see different things and see different countries and backgrounds and religions and experience different foods. I want him to grab life and don't let it grab him. The past couple years, watching the relationship between you and Dimitri grow, what I had seen before was two people moving somewhat together, but kind of moving around. What I've seen over the past year was two people truly moving in the same direction together. That's Heidi Watts with her daughter-in-law, Eugenia Hart. In the stories we've heard so far, love pulled people around the globe to new homes and new places. In this final story, we'll hear from a young woman who felt the tug of one of the strongest bonds of all, the love between parents and children. But in this story, the journey ends where it started. Shelby Kilgore was adopted from Korea by an American family before she was even a year old. Her adoptive mother, Susan Redfield, was always open about Shelby's adoption and told her all she could But by the time she was six, Shelby's biggest questions were all about her biological mom. I wanted you to know the truth about everything. Maybe I told you a little bit too young because you had gotten the concept that there was another mother somewhere in the world. And you cried a lot and uh, wanted us to get that mother and have her live with us. I wanted so much to meet her and I wanted to know who I looked like. I wanted to know if my personality traits, if she had any of the same ones. Uh, As you grew up, I learned that there was a homeland tour that we could go on. 
I thought, oh boy, we are going to do that. Were you excited about going to Korea? Well, you always told me that you were given out of love. Your mother loved you so much that she gave you up to give you a better life. And so I just really wanted to meet my biological mother. And towards the end of the trip, she came to meet us. I remember seeing her, and then she embraced me in a hug. And she held me for a long time. And I remember her holding my face, and she was just looking me straight in the eye. And she said she wasn't able to keep me because she was single and unwed, and she had two other children. And she told me she thought about me every day. And so being in Korea was really about trying to find that missing piece and the void in my heart that I felt that I just really wanted to fill. But, you know, it's interesting. I always felt like home was when you, Dad, and Garrett and I were watching our favorite TV shows together and Dad would fall asleep. (laughs) But I don't know, for some reason, just... Being all together, laughing and crying when we would watch our favorite TV shows growing up, that felt like home. And going to Korea, I think it expanded my view in that I kind of got a glimpse into what my life could have been like living over in Korea had I not been adopted. But yeah, I guess home was in the family room. That didn't really change much. It made me appreciate it more. Thank you for saying that, and thank you for being my daughter. And uh, I love seeing the person that you've grown up to be. That's Shelby Kilgore with her mom, Susan Redfield. Shelby made that trip to Korea in 2001 when she was 17. Today, she's a documentary filmmaker telling stories of adoptees from Korea and around the world. That's all for this episode. This podcast was produced by Sylvie Lubau, Mitra Banshahi, Susan Lee, Emily Shao, and Alyssa Pelk. Stay tuned for our third and final episode. It's out December 9th, and it's all about the future. Until then, I'm Michael Garofalo. Thanks for listening.